I'm going today to present uh, the findings and the summary information that you should be able to read in a new um, issue brief by IFPRI, uh, written by me, but uh, colleagues from other division in the Wool Institution, trying to explain um, what we do as economists when we try to look at this hunger issue, uh, how much it will cost to address it, and potentially what are the, the benefits. Um, I'm going to focus on hunger, and particular in terms of caloric hunger. It's just a subset of the issues we are going to talk about today. Uh, but to some extent, it seems to be a low-hanging fruit, because we know that if we provide these calories and the means to buy these calories, people will buy them and consume them. We don't ask for major change in behavior or long-term education investment, but still, if we look at this target of ending hunger, and that can be summarized uh, as the first item in the Sustainable Development Goal number two, the first thing we have to keep in mind that if there is this commitment to end hunger by 2030, we are not on track. Globally, we will still have hungry people in 2030. So we need to do more. We already are doing things at the global level, at the country level, at the community level to address hunger, but with the current level of expenditure. And if we just trust ongoing initiative and the current trade of economic growth, we will not eradicate hunger by 2030. So we will need active policies. And it is where uh, what we do here, and I will talk about today, can be relevant. Because as you know, it's costly to do policies. So we need to mobilize resources, initially by the public entity, but also uh, on the um, medium and long run by the private sector that will follow up on some initiatives started by the public sectors. Of course, there are costs, but there are benefits. In the case of hunger and nutrition overall, one of the challenges is that people that will pay and people will benefit may not be the same. Okay, so we cannot just ask the private sector to deal with this. And I will say a few words about the potential economic benefits to address this issue. Of course, we should not think about ending hunger as a cost-benefit analysis. There's a lot of human rights, you know, uh, the right for food uh, has been recognized. But the way to achieve it is a cost-benefit analysis and uh, where basically economists can contribute. You know, we have limited resources. What is the best way to achieve our goal? And it's basically where quantitative analysis, large-scale economic model are going to be useful to start to put a price tag on some of these initiatives and compare potentially pathway to address them. First question we are going to, to look at together is what we want to cost. And as I've said in my presentation, let's look at the cost of ending hunger. But what do we call hunger? We have various definitions around. Uh, from a pure medical perspective, you can think that, yes, it's a calorie constraint um, that will uh, lead to see physiological response to, to hunger. And the way we are going to measure it in terms of statistics will be maybe one of the crude statistics we have uh, looking at this is the prevalence of undernourishment. So looking at what share of the population doesn't have enough calories on a daily basis to have a normal level of physical and mental activity. 
what means now to define the end of hunger? Do we want to say that everyone in the society will be hunger free? And from a communication and political target, ending hunger should be the eradication of hunger? But what level of confidence we have on the statistics when we deal with hunger, but also do we think that today there is one society in the world that is purely and totally hunger free? So different teams looking at this aspect of what is the cost of ending hunger may make different assumptions, you know, what you think is realistic, both in terms of policy action, but also the um, statistical information we have really to identify the very, very uh, angry people on Earth. You will see also differences in terms of the value of investment we consider. Some studies will refer to total investment, both private and public. Others will just look at public investment. And I will show you a few examples where you will see very different figures, but we can explain easily the differences between what we put in this basket of cost. Also, to keep in mind, to achieve this target of ending hunger, we need a lot of instruments. Some are within the food system, some go beyond the food system, and so, of course, will have impact for all the SDG. So in the exercise we are doing here, we just try to look about what is the cost to achieve SDG 2, but some of the policy packets that have to be implemented will impact many SDG. So here, you see, I'm trying to have a very restrictive point of view, just hunger, and policy intervention that mainly focus on SDG 2, when in reality, of course, the overall strategy will be um, much more holistic, hopefully. And when I say different type of intervention, some go, as I've said, beyond the food system, so you need social safety net. You have hungry people that are not connected to the food system except as consumer. So or they will find a job or you need to transfer income, but their main problem is to have resources to buy the food and they will not work in the food system. Then you need to boost your agricultural sectors both to increase productivity, to reduce the cost of food, but also to create job opportunities for poor people today that uh, are farmers, but also hungry people. So that's a part of reality. You have a lot of hunger in rural area. And hopefully you will do it in a sustainable way. Then you need infrastructure, because also in the rural area you have people that are hungry but are not farmers, so they need better connectivity. And you need a set of trade policy, land policy, even fiscal policy that will make this uh, possible, but also will reduce the cost of these different interventions. I have not included the fact that you need also specific nutrition-oriented intervention, but they go beyond this, this hunger target. So now let's see what type of estimates we have within IFPRI but also in sister organizations like FAO, WFP, and so on. And if you look at publication, you will find different price tags for what appears to be the same target. But in reality, they ask different questions in different contexts. So, first question that you can ask is what is the amount of basically investment and transfer, meaning social safety net, if you want to eradicate both poverty and hunger everywhere in the world by 2030. To answer this question, you have this Achieving Zero Hunger report by FAO with the support of IFAD and WFP. 
and they will come with a kind of big price tag of 265 billion of investment every year between 2050 and 2030. Okay? Big price tag. But what they count here is, you see, we want to eradicate both hunger and poverty, so SDG 1 and 2. We want to do it with different intervention, including transfer. And we count in this figure all the public and private investment needed to boost your GDP and your economy to reach this. Next question. So we put different price tag. So you can think, okay, how much it will cost in terms of investment, and in this case we focus on the agricultural system, to achieve some level of actual productivity measure in yield, and considering also the effect of climate change. This question has been addressed by a report by IFPRI using the impact model. And here you will get a lower figure, just 52 billion. They look also at total investment in agriculture, including the climate change effect. But in this case, their target is 5% of hunger in individual countries. It means that we consider that a country is hunger-free if there is 5% or less of its population affected by uh, this caloric restriction. If you think it's still too high, you can ask another question and say explicitly no focusing, okay? If I just want to spend money to eliminate hunger, and here we are also going to use this 5% target by 2030, but we are going to build on all the capacity we have to target properly household. So keep in mind that if you do a farm policy that boosts the productivity of all your farmers, of course you are going to reduce the price of food, but you are going to generate a lot of income that will not benefit poor farmers. When in reality, if you want also to address hunger through the income channel for farmers, you want to support just the small holders, for instance. Or if you target medium farms, you want to make sure that you target medium farms that will create jobs for poor people. So here we use a different model that is called the, the Miragodep model, that is a general model with uh, household information. And we come with a much lower figure, it's 11 billion, but here we just focus on additional public money. So the fact that you are going to give to a farmer, let's say, a goat, that will be a gift from the government. But this goat is going to create income flows. And the next generation of goat will be private investment. So in this case, the second and third generation of goats are not included in the last figures when they are included in the FAO report. So you see how we do accounting will lead to different price tag. And when you do advocacy, it's important to know what is including in which figure. Because if you go to policymaker and you say, we need to spend basically 300 billion every year, that can be a lot. If you say, what you need to spend is 12 billion and that will generate additional figures. But of course, we just focus on caloric hunger here. And we assume that you will do properly this targeting based on all the information we have today that 20 years ago we didn't have. If you think about microfinancing using cell phone, 20 years ago that was not an intervention we can even design. Today we can do it. And uh, some uh, agencies like WFP are already using this type of technology to maximize the efficiency of their program and not spreading money in all directions. Targeting is important. So now that we see how much it costs, let's look at potential gains. 
So, what are the gains of ending hunger and improving uh, nutrition? So, of course, first we have evidence now that show that if, when you are young, you have been um, calorie constraints, the probability that later on in your life you develop obesity is accrued. So, in reality, there is also potentially health gains to uh, properly target hunger as soon as possible. But here I'm going to focus really on the basic gains of uh, addressing hunger, that is increasing your labor productivity of your workforce. So really, an economist point of view. And uh, here I think that you have two basically channels. One is the immediate one. When you are a worker today and you, are, you don't have your minimum energy, you are less productive. So if you work in a sugarcane field, at the end of the day, you stop to work because you don't have enough energy. That's the situation faced by too many workers uh, today in the world. And also when you operate under your calorie constraint, the probability that you are sick increase. So it means that the total number of, of hours you can work is reduced. And of course there is a generational effect where if you provide uh, food to your kids, they will have better brain development, better physical development, and the next generation will also be more productive. So you have short-term effect, long-term effect. If I just focus on the short-term gains, you will see that by 2030, if we bring this um, prevalence of undernourishment by 5% of less in all the countries of the world, we are going to increase the global GDP by nearly $300 billion a year. And for some country, it's 3 or 4, 5, 6% of their GDP. Just by making sure that the existing labor force can operate at an optimum level. It's not even the kids. It's already what the constraints we have today. So I talk a lot about hunger, uh, but this is again the, the first um, stepping stone. Today we are looking at other aspects and more than full nutrition package, both in terms of research and action. And some of the things that I've been discussing in the introduction and we will continue to talk about is what type of action can be made to uh, properly address these challenges. And if we look at the pillars of, of the uh, decade on action for nutrition, you will see that some of this action that we have here in light green are part of what we need in anyhow to address hunger. So it just need to scale up some of these efforts to achieve the different target. Thank you very much.